Chapter eighteen, part one of a short account of the history of mathematics. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading is by Paul King, pjk.scripts.mit.edu forward slash pkj. A short account of the history of mathematics by W. W. Rouseball. Chapter 18. Lagrange, Laplace, and their contemporaries, circa 1740 to 1830. The last chapter contains the history of two separate schools, the Continental and the British. In the early years of the 18th century, the English school appeared vigorous and fruitful, but decadence rapidly set in, and after the deaths of Maclaurin and Simpson, no British mathematician appeared who was at all comparable to the continental mathematicians of the latter half of the 18th century. This fact is partly explicable by the isolation of the school, partly by its tendency to rely too exclusively on geometrical and fluxional methods. Some attention was, however, given to practical science, but except for a few remarks on English physicists, I do not think it necessary to discuss English mathematicians further, until about 1820, when analytical methods again come into vogue. On the continent, under the influence of John Bernoulli, the calculus had become an instrument of great analytical power, expressed in an admirable notation and for practical applications it is impossible to overestimate the value of a good notation the subject of mechanics remained however in much the condition in which newton had left it until d'alembert in putting newton's results into the language of the differential calculus did something to extend it universal gravitation as enunciated in the principia was accepted as an established fact but the geometrical methods adopted in proving it were difficult to follow or use or to use in analogous problems maclaurin simpson and clairaut may be regarded as the last mathematicians of distinction who employed them lastly the newtonian theory of light was generally received as correct the leading mathematicians of the era of which we are now entering are euler lagrange laplace and legendre briefly we may say that euler extended summed up and completed the work of his predecessors while lagrange with almost unrivalled skill developed the infinitesimal calculus and theoretical mechanics into the form in which we now know them at the same time, Laplace made some additions to the infinitesimal calculus and applied that calculus to the theory of universal gravitation. He also created a calculus of probabilities. Legendre invented spherical harmonic analysis and elliptic integrals and added to the theory of numbers. The works of these writers are still standard authorities and are hardly yet the subject matter of history. I shall therefore content myself with a mere sketch of their discoveries, referring anyone who wishes to know more to the works themselves. 
Lagrange, Laplace, and Legendre created a French school of mathematics, of which the younger members are divided into two groups, including Poisson and Fourier, began to apply the mathematical analysis to physics, and the other, including Monge, Carnot, and Poncelet, created modern geometry. Strictly speaking, some of the great mathematicians of recent times, such as Gauss and Abel, were contemporaries of the mathematicians last named, but except for this remark, I think it convenient to defer any consideration of them to the next chapter. The Development of Analysis and Mathematics Euler Leonard Euler was born in Bale on April 15, 1707, and died at St. Petersburg on September 7, 1783. He was a son of a Lutheran minister who had settled at Bale and was educated in his native town under the direction of John Bernoulli, with whose sons Daniel and Nicholas he formed a lifelong friendship. When, in 1725, the younger Bernoullis went to Russia on the invitation of the Empress, they procured a place there for Euler, which in 1733 he exchanged for the chair of mathematics then vacated by Daniel Bernoulli. The severity of the climate affected his eyesight, and in 1735 he lost the use of one eye completely. In 1741 he moved to Berlin at the request, or rather command, of Frederick the Great. Here he stayed till 1766, when he returned to Russia, and was succeeded at Berlin by Lagrange. Within two or three years of his going back to St. Petersburg, he became blind, but in spite of this, and although his house together with many of his papers were burnt in 1771, he recast and improved most of his earlier works. He died of ap apoplexy in 1783. He was married twice. I think we may sum up Euler's work by saying that he created analysis and revised almost all the branches of pure mathematics which were then known, filling up the details, adding proofs, and arranging the whole in consistent form. Such work is very important, and it is fortunate for science when it falls into the hands as competent as those of Euler. Euler wrote an immense number of memoirs on all kinds of mathematical subjects. His chief work, in which many of the results of earlier memoirs of are embodied are as follows in the first place he wrote in seventeen forty eight as in his introductio in analysim infinitorum which was intended to serve as an introduction to pure analytical mechanics this is divided into two parts the first part of the analysis infinitorum contains the bulk of the matter which is to be found in the modern textbooks on algebra theory of equations and trigonometry in the algebra he paid particular t attention to the expansion of various functions in series and to the summation of given series and pointed out explicitly that an infinite series cannot be safely employed unless it is convergent in the trigonometry much of which is founded on f c mayer's arithmetic of signs which has been published in seventeen twenty seven euler developed the idea of john bernoulli that the subject was a branch of analysis and not a mere appendage of astronomy or geometry he also introduced 
contemporaneously with Simpson, the current abbreviations for the trigonometrical functions, and shewed that the trigonometrical and exponential functions were connected by the relation cosine theta plus i sine theta equals e to the power of i times theta. Here, too, we meet the symbol e, used to denote the base of the Naperian logarithms, namely the incommensurable number 2.71828, and the symbol pi, used to denote the incommensurable number 3.14159. The use of a single symbol to denote the number 2.71828 seems to be due to Coates, who denoted it by m. Newton was, as far as I know, the first to employ the literal exponential notation, and Euler, using the form a to the z, has taken a as the base of any system of logarithms. It is probable that the choice of e for a particular base was determined by its being the vowel consecutive to a. The use of a single symbol to denote the number 3.14159 appears to have been introduced by John Bernoulli, who represented it by C. Euler, in 1734, denoted it by P, and in a letter of 1736 in which he enunciated the theorem that the sum of the squares of the reciprocals of the natural numbers is 1 over 6 times pi squared, he used the letter C. Christian Goldbach, in 1742, used the Greek letter pi, and after the publication of Euler's analysis, the symbol pi was generally employed. The numbers e and pi would enter into the mathematical analysis from whatever side the subject was approached. The latter represents, among other things, the ratio of the circumference of a circle to the diameter, but it is a mere accident that it is taken for its definition. De Morgan, in the Budget of Paradoxes, tells an anecdote which illustrates how little the useful def usual definition suggests its real use. He was explaining to an actuary what was the chance that at the end of a given time a certain proportion of some group of people would be alive, and quoted the actuarial formula involving pi, which in answer to a question he explained, stood for the ratio of the circumference of a circle to its diameter. His acquaintance, who so far listened to the explanation with interest, interrupted him and explained, My dear friend, that must be a delusion. What can a circle have to do with the number of people alive at the end of a given time? The second part of the analysis infinitorum is on analytical geometry. Euler commenced this part by dividing curves into algebraical and transcendental, and established a variety of propositions which are true for all algebraical curves. He then applied these to the general equations of the second degree into, in two dimensions, shewed that it represents the various conic sections, and deduced most of their properties from the general equation. He also considered the classification of cubic, quartic, and other algebraical curves. He next discussed the question as to what surfaces are represented by the general equation of the second degree in three dimensions, and how they may be discriminated one from the other. Some of these surfaces had not been previously investigated. In the course of this analysis, he laid down the rules for the transformation of coordinates in space. 
here also we find the earliest attempt to bring the curvature of services within the domain of mathematics and the first complete discussion of tortuous curves the analysis infinitorum was followed in seventeen fifty five by the institutiones calculi differentialis to which it was intended as an introduction this was the first textbook on the differential calculus which has any claim to be regarded as complete and it may be said that most modern treatises on the subject are based on it at the same time it should be added that the exposition of the principles of the subject is often prolix and obscure and sometimes not altogether accurate this series of works was completed by the publication in three volumes in seventeen sixty eight to seventeen seventy of the institutiones calculi integralis in which the results of several of euler's earlier memoirs on the same subject uh, and on differential equations are included this like the similar treatise on the differential calculus summed up what was then known on the subject but many of the theorems were recast and the proofs improved the beta and gamma functions were invented by euler and discussed here but only as illustrations of the methods of reduction and integration his treatment of elliptical integrals is superficial it was due to a theorem given by john landon a writer who was suggestive rather than powerful in the philosophical transactions for seventeen fifty five connecting the arcs of a hyperbola and an ellipse euler's works that form this trilogy have gone through numerous subsequent editions the classic problems on isoperimetrical curves the brachistochrone in a resulting medium and the theory of geodesics all of which had been suggested by his master john bernoulli had engaged euler's attention at an early date and in solving them he was led to the calculus of variations the general idea of this was laid down in his curvera maxima minive proprietate gaudentium inventio nova ac facilis published in seventeen forty four but the complete development of the new calculus was first effected by lagrange in seventeen fifty nine the method used by lagrange is described in euler's integral calculus and is the same as that given in most modern textbooks on the subject in seventeen seventy euler published the analysic zur algebra in two volumes the first volume treats of determinate algebra this contains one of the earliest attempts to place the fundamental process on a scientific basis the same subject had attracted d'alembert's attention this work also includes the proof of the binomial theorem for an unrestricted index which is still known by euler's name the proof is founded on the principle of the permanence of equivalent forms but euler made no attempt to investigate the convergency of the series that he should have omitted this essential step is the more curious as he had himself recognized the necessity of considering the convergency of the infinite series the second volume treats of the indeterminate or diophantine algebra this contains a solution of some of the problems proposed by fermat which had hitherto remained unsolved a french translation of the algebra with numerous and valuable additions by lagrange was brought out in seventeen ninety four and a treatise on arithmetic by euler was appended to it 
These four works comprise most of what Euler produced in pure mathematics. He also wrote numerous memoirs on nearly all subjects of applied mathematics and mathematical physics then studied. The chief results in them are as follows. In the mechanics of a grid system, he determined the general equation of a motion of a body about a fixed point, which are ordinarily written of the form a multiplied by d omega 1 by dt minus in brackets b minus c close bracket times omega 2 times omega 3 equals l and he gave the general equation of the motion of a free body which are usually presented in the form d by dt times mu minus mv theta 3 plus mw theta 2 equals x and dh1 prime by dt equals h2 prime theta 3 plus h3 prime theta 2 equals l. He also defended and elaborated the theory of least action, which had been propounded by Marpetuis in 1751 in his Essay de Cosmologie. In hydrodynamics, Euler established the general equations of motion, which are commonly expressed in the form 1 over rho d rho by dx equals x minus du by dt minus u times du by dx minus v times du by dy minus w times du by dz. At the time of his death he was engaged in writing a treatise on hydromechanics in which the treatment of the subject would have been completely recast. His most important works on astronomy are his Theoria Mortuum Planetarum et Cometarum, published in 1744, his Theoria Multis Lunaris, published in 1753, and his Theoria Motuum Lunae, published in 1772. In these he attacked the problem of three bodies. He supposed the body considered, e.g. the moon, to carry three rectangular axes with it in its motion, the axes moving parallel to themselves, and to these axes all the motions were referred. This method is not convenient, but it was from Euler's results that Meyer constructed the lunar tables from which his widow in 1770 received 5,000 pounds, being the prize offered by the English Parliament, and in recognition of Euler's services a sum of 300 pounds was voted as an honorarium to him. Euler was much interested in optics. In 1746 he discussed the relative merits of the emission and undulatory theories of light. He, on the whole, preferred the latter. In 1770 to 1771 he published his optical researches in three volumes under the title Dioptrica. He also wrote an elementary work on physics and fundamental principles of mathematical philosophy. This originated from an invitation he received when he first went to Berlin to give the lessons on physics to the princess of anhalt dessau These lectures were published in 1768 to 1772 in three volumes under the title Lettres sur quelques sujets de physique and for half a century remained a standard treatise on the subject. Of course, Euler's magnificent works were not the only textbooks containing original matter produced at this time. Amongst numerous writers, I would, be, I would specially single out Daniel Bernoulli, Simpson, Lambert, Bizu, Tremblay, 
and Abergast as having influenced the development of mathematics. To the first two mentioned I have already alluded in the last chapter. End of section 30. Recording by Paul King, Oakville, Ontario, pjk.scripts.mit.edu forward slash pkj.